from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Welcome to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your glamorous host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete chaos. We've got another epic episode for you all today. We have an amazing guest. Seriously, someone that retired in their 30s. This is an incredible story. You do not want to miss it. And I'm so excited. I got a lot of things to celebrate right now. We've got a couple big things that have come up. First, one week from today, we'll be at episode 100. That is the biggest milestone, I think, in my eyes. For a podcast, if you're doing a weekly or twice a week podcast like we're doing, hitting 100 episodes is huge. That is a big milestone. That means this show is here to stay as long as I can keep recording. And my editor, my producer, Francisco, okay, my son, as long as he's able to keep producing. Now, I bring him up because... We do have a big change. You might notice my face is all red. It's bright, bright red. I don't know how it comes through in the camera, but it's bright red. You know, I haven't been out much in the sun because of the pandemic, probably like most people, but we were out for a couple hours today. Why is that, you might ask? Well, Francisco, or as we call him in our house, Pancho, well, he's not only just turned 18 about a month ago, month and a half now, okay? He actually just graduated from high school, and that is awesome. This is a bootstrap father-son combo podcast, and this kid has rolled with all the punches to produce this show. He's not even out of high school, and he's producing a podcast at the level that we're producing it at. Yeah, it's not perfect. There's something here something there he spells something wrong here you know or maybe volumes needed to be adjusted there but for the most part for an 18 year old that was still in high school during a global pandemic dude has done amazing and we have not had an easy life for him we've moved all over the north america between mexico the u.s cali you know pennsylvania all over this kid has been able to roll with all the punches he's been able to hang with the top the best of the best and just push his way through and uh you know big shout out to to you francisco i love you proud of you and uh you're doing an amazing job with this episode so congratulations on graduating high school and we look forward to you now being able to spend your free time producing more podcast episodes (laughs) just kidding just kidding now remember okay if you are watching us on youtube though you can join this channel support francisco as a producer support me as the host you can become a baby shark for three yeah three dollars a month support this but if through big tech isn't your big thing but you do want to help us don't worry we got your back there too you can go check out our coffee brand, deadhousecoffee.com. Use the code SHARK. You'll get 20% off your order. And again, all the proceeds directly support us. 
building the biggest and best show we possibly can. So now let's take a pivot. Let's talk about today's interview. Like I was saying, we got an amazing chat. We're going to talk about the entrepreneur spirit, the calling that just some people have and they cannot deny it and they just can't avoid it. Being a business owner is addictive. We're going to chat about the continued learning process and all of that good stuff that goes into being a successful business owner. Hold on to your seats. Hold on to your caps. Hold on to those beers. Today's guest, I'm telling you right now, he is a trip. So who is today's guest? Oh, so glad you asked. None other than Mr. Brian Clayton. Brian Clayton is the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for Lawn Care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 200,000 active users completing thousands of transactions per day. Before starting GreenPal, Brian Clayton founded Peachtree Inc., one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing it to over $10 million a year in annual revenue before it was acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. Brian's interests and expertise are related to the entrepreneurialism, small business growth, marketing, and bootstrapping businesses from zero revenue to profitability and exit. So hey, I'm going to shut up now. Let's bring our buddy Brian right on in here. Creative and innovation tips. Brian, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you said that this is going to be the best podcast show we've ever had on Shark Bite Biz. So let's set the table. First question. Every single person has to answer it. Okay. What's your experience? What's your background? Tell everybody out there watching us on YouTube or Spotify, iTunes, wherever they're at. What makes Brian? Brian. Well, what makes me me is I have yeah. spent 21 years in entrepreneurship in one industry, lawn mowing. Wow. And you wouldn't think lawn mowing would be an industry that you can make a good living on and you, you could retire off of. But I actually retired at the age of 32 uh, no when way. I sold my first lawn mowing business. Yeah, I and actually. How old, uh, how, how old, if you don't mind, how old are you now? I'm 40 now. And so 40. when I was 32 Eight years, years retired. old. I, I sold I sold my first company. I had built a lawn mowing business from just me and a push mower in high school, all the way up to 150 employees, over 10 million dollars a year in revenue in Nashville, Tennessee. And in 2013, the business was acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. And so after that, I retired. I did not have wow. to work anymore. It was awesome. It's, but I got bored. First off, first off, there are national landscaping companies. I assume I, I've never. You know what? I don't know why. I've never thought about that. Obviously, there should be national landscaping companies. I don't know why. I always think of landscaping, regional mom and pop type companies like what you did down there in Nashville. I don't think of big national firms. To your point, it's a $99 billion industry and the wow. top 10 players in the space only constitute 5% of that. And so to your point, yes, it's, it's highly fragmented. It's mom and pops. It's solo entrepreneurs. And that's one of the things I love about it. But yeah, there are I can't even tell you, I can't even tell you one landscaping company outside of the local vicinity of where I live. It's cra that's right. crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. And, and there's a couple of big ones. And one of the big ones bought, bought my company and, and enabled me to kind of do what, can, what I wanted to do. Can you, can you give their name? 
Yeah, so the name of the company is called Lusa Holdings out of Austin, Texas, and they own yeah, like 30 or 40 independent landscaping companies throughout the United States. Okay. And so it's kind of like uh like a restaurant group almost uh that owns a bunch of different little brands. That's kind of mm-hmm. how they operate. Okay. Okay. Well, I figured if you said the name maybe it would ring a bell and be like, "Oh yeah, I do know one." But nope, <laughs> nope. not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just invisible, something that happens in the background. And I think one thing uh, like, that I've taken from 20 years of entrepreneurship is that the least sexy your idea and the least glamorous, the greater your chances of success. <laughs> because the sexy idea is everybody else is going after it. But if you yeah. go after something that's not very glamorous, you have a higher likelihood of, of creating something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that that's totally true. And with Lon, I mean, I know that you said that you've been doing it since high school, but let's get into your background as far as, I mean, were your parents entrepreneurs? Did you... Where do you get that entrepreneur spirit from? Yeah, so I'm uh, I am actually the first entrepreneur in my family. Every everyone else in my in my family has taken a more traditional approach, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and work working a career. Uh, however, I was forced into entrepreneurship by my father on a hot summer day when I was 15 years old. He said, "Get off your butt! You got a job <laughs> to do." you're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And he made me go mow the neighbor's grass. And luckily he did because I made 20 bucks and I was hooked. I was hooked on entrepreneurship from that moment forward. The first thing I did when I got done mowing the yard was I I, I went to my old school desktop computer. This is back in the nineties and made up some flyers. And I I walked door to door and passed out these flyers. And I had like 10 customers by the end of that first summer. That is, that's amazing. And I think that's, spirit that has been lost a little bit in this day and age you know like we just moved out well i guess not it feels like we just moved out here because i've been in a pandemic for like 80 percent of the time that i lived in philadelphia we've been locked to our house so it feels like we just moved here because we haven't been able to explore but we were out in la previously uh but since we've been out here i mean because I, I did originally grow up here in coal country, Pennsylvania. And then when I was uh, 18, I actually moved to Tijuana, Mexico, and I lived there for 15 years. Long story. But uh, up here, when I was a kid, I mean, mowing lawns and shoveling snow during the winters is how a lot of, I mean, you could bring in 100, 200 bucks, you know, if you really hustled it, especially with the snowstorms. I just don't see that this day and age as much. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's a little bit. We've lost a little bit of that. Uh, you still see it. You know, my my current business, Green Pal, that I started after I sold my first business, is the Uber of lawn mowing. And so if oh, you're okay. a homeowner, you need to get your grass cut, you just use our app, and you'll get hooked up with somebody that can come out and do it for you. Now, that said, we have to recruit a lot of lawn care services onto our platform. So to yeah, your yeah. point – um, I think a little bit of that has been lost, but not all of it. We still we still get uh, a lot of folks signing up on our platform that are new entrepreneurs, new new to the idea of owning a business. And the lawn mowing business is great because there's such low barriers to entry. You can get into it and kind of learn the fundamentals of business ownership and learn mm-hmm. things that you have to learn for any business. And you know, I do a lot of interviews where people are like, "My first company was a lawn mowing business," and you, you hear that a lot. Where it's like the lawn care industry is like almost this gateway drug to business business ownership. And you, you learn mm-hmm. things like, like self-reliance and discipline and customer service. And you just, the fundamental truth of it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Like you learn that it's all <laughs> on it. your shoulders. The lawn mowing business teaches you that. So it's still That's there, awesome. maybe not as strong as it was when we were kids. Well, my, my, my 
son, Pancho, who's the video editor. He's also the landscaper at my house. And uh, he's act- <laughs> I, I do make him like I did. The- I have the same philosophy. I was working. Well, I wanted to work since I was 12. Uh, wasn't able to. Apparently, there's child labor laws here in the, the United States. But I had to wait till I was 14. And I that's when I finally got my first job. I was working 12-hour days in a restaurant. But I, I felt that that is something that made me different. Because my brothers, uh, both my brothers have passed away now. But when they were alive, I mean... They were just kind of gliding through life. None of them had, neither of them, or my sister, had to get a job when they were younger. They kind of got everything given to them. And I don't know. I just felt that, and then going through life, they were always kind of, I don't know. They just had that, um, like, expectation of entitlement instead of just going out, working, getting it done. Whereas me... I viewed that one of the differences between myself and them is that, hey, I had to work for everything, um, you know, being the oldest and stuff like that. I had to go out. I had to earn money for my own school clothes, whatever it was. And I felt that that created a huge difference in personalities, I think, between me and my siblings. Again, I'm not looking bad at them, you know, each their own. I don't care how people live, but I want my kids to have that drive, that entrepreneurism. And that's why with Pancho, you know, it's like, hey, we don't really need the money. Like, I'll buy you your school clothes, stuff like that. But you've got to be out there either working or volunteering, okay? If you don't need the money, money doesn't interest you right now, well, then you've got to be a volunteer somewhere. You're not just sitting at home. You're learning how to work from a young age. So he actually became a junior firefighter. Because awesome. of that, volunteered his time. Uh, besides little odd jobs, you know, like cutting neighbors' lawns and stuff like that. Do you think that's that's something good for youth today Absolutely. to have that instilled? There's no telling how different my life would have turned out had my dad not forced me to go do that first lawn mowing. Um, and, and I think like if you're doing like a career correctly or you're doing a, a business correctly. Your business can cause you to evolve as a completely different person every three to five years if you're doing it correctly, because the business is going to require a lot of things of you. It's going to be this like forcing function to cause you to level up in life, you know, read books you never would have read, watch YouTube uh, uh, broadcasts like this one that you might not have otherwise watched, but maybe you want to learn something, Um, podcasts, et cetera, all of these things that the business is going to require you to be a better leader, better manager, learn things like marketing, learn humility. Wow. One of the most humbling things you can do with your life is start a business because oh, yeah. the, the marketplace is a feedback machine. It's always going to tell you where you need to improve personally and in your business. And if, and if you're doing business right, you are your business. You are, there's like, it's, it's indistinguishable between you and your small business. It's an extension of you. And so that's one of the things I love about it is that my, the business has caused me to evolve and grow as a human being over the last 20 years. And I'm a completely different person today than I was five years ago. Had right. my company not been in my life, I might have been stagnant. And I might have been like, you know, you're talking about where I was just kind of going through life aimlessly. Mm-hmm. Whereas your business can be the source of purpose in your life. And that's always the way it's been for me. It's like, okay, the business is causing me to get out of bed in the morning, causing me to, right. to learn more, do more, grow. You feel that, you feel that level of responsibility. Right. Like, you know what? If it was for me, blah, I'd rather just 
binge YouTube today and watch Shark Bite Biz podcast episode after episode. But <laughs> you see what I did there? I love but, that. True marketer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, you have people depending upon you to where it's like, yeah, but if I don't, you know, Chris isn't going to get this deal closed. We're going to have escalations. And you have that level of responsibility that other people that depend on you that really force you to go out, even on your bad days, that you don't feel like doing it. That That is a huge, I think, motivating factor. Exactly. I mean, there's days where I feel blah, you know, right. and it's just like I'm overwhelmed because I'm doing so many different things. But the fact that I know other people are relying on me and relying on me to do things at a high level with my, my day job and then with the podcast, whatever it may be, I, I force myself to just go out there, do it, stop making excuses, just get it done. Exactly. The business can be the answer to the question, if it weren't for me, X. If it weren't for me, then what? If it weren't for me, if I didn't get out of bed, what would happen? If, if, if it weren't for me, okay, then what's going to happen? Okay, so if it weren't for me, there's there's 23 people that work here that wouldn't have a paycheck. There's people that use my product that that wouldn't be held. I have access to it. There's thousands of business owners that use our business to, 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 to run their lawn mowing business. They would be up a creek. And so if it wasn't for me, then what? And so it's like your their business can be the answer to that question mm-hmm. and can and can lend that, that level of importance to where it's a forcing function in your life to where you have to get better you have to get out of bed even though if you don't feel like it you got to go into the office and figure out why the hell we can't make payroll this week and and everybody mm-hmm. wants to be an entrepreneur until you can't make payroll and uh so they, it's a grow it's so it's such a great source of like growth for your life like one of my one of my favorite books is by a guy by the name of donald miller it's called a million miles in a thousand years and what he says in the book is to live an interesting life you have to live an interesting story and you have to create an interesting storyline for your life. And, and that just really made sense to me. And then I, I was able to like apply that to me. I'm like, well, my business is the storyline to my life. It is the thing causing me to go through like the challenges and go through like the ups and downs. And, and if you're watching mm-hmm. a movie and there's no like, there's no thing that the hero is conquering, it's a pretty boring movie and it's not interesting. And so, you know, when it's all said and done, you look back on your life and it's like, what did I do? What were the challenges I overcame? Like, like how did I create opportunities for those around me? The business can be the thing that did that. And so for me, like looking back 20 years and building two companies, it's like, okay, the business is the storyline to my life and it's what causes yeah. it to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. And when you look back, you're probably amazed at how much you accomplished. And you probably accomplished a lot of stuff that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I believe in the law of attraction, you know, as far as, hey, if you're positive, you believe you can go out and do anything. You can conquer the world if you want to. And for me, I mean, it, it, it's crazy when I look back, like how much stuff that I accomplished that was like, I don't know, I guess you can call them a bucket list item, but it's stuff that I never went out searching for. It's just stuff that kind of found me and I just rolled with the flow. I mean, that it, it's pretty amazing, I think. Yeah, that momentum creates luck. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're doing business right, you're creating momentum. You're you're creating and unlocking opportunities just by moving forward. Yeah, the first year, two years really, really suck. But you just focus on like the two or three things you can do. And you do that, rinse and repeat over a few years. Then guess what? You have an access to more things that you can do. And I like that. Momentum creates luck. That's right. 
<laughs> I think I just got the uh, the title of this episode. <laughs> there you go. I heard that somewhere. I didn't invent that. It might have been. Uh, oh, don't uh, worry. It's going to have your name right by the quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think that's from "Think and Grow Rich" by Napoleon Hill. I think. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, but okay. but I, but I'm not sure. Sounds like you read uh, read listen watch a lot of media that's about business business growth and those types of topics. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, and 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 to like well, like to my earlier point, it's like the business requires that from me. I actually hate reading. I was a terrible. I maybe. Mm-hmm like half dyslexic but I was I didn't read anything in high school and and like even though like there was like the summer book list that I had to read like I would show up in September not having read those books and I hate reading too <laughs> hate it I, but I it's like exercise listen, I force myself to do it yeah yeah no it is I, but and that's where I found audible another thing that I do which is funny because I battle with my wife about this is like, say I get on my my Kindle tablet, you know, I get a, a book, um, I guess it's Fire tablet, but um, I, I get an ebook, okay, a digital book, and I'll read it there. Sometimes I'll listen to it while I'm reading it. Very few books I do that with, but one I did was The Little Red Book of Selling, Jeffrey uh, Gittimer, yeah. which was an amazing book because it was probably one of the first sales books I read. And I was always self-taught. I, I've never had training, anything like that for most of my life. I didn't even go to college up until only about eight years ago I graduated. And basically when I read this book, it was like, holy cow, I've already figured all this stuff out myself on my own. But without this was college. A, without college right. or without reading any books or anything. I mean, it was mind-blowing experience for me, but it was better well-defined. You know what I mean? It was more defined. It was more structured, but like free speech, for example, is his greatest way to find more opportunities. And I love that because I was, uh, I don't think you could see the posters here, but one of the things I was doing in LA and five years ago, when I started with Vision 33, I wanted to do a podcast, okay? But I figured, hey, why are people gonna listen to me? I mean, yeah, I did some cool stuff. I worked for the Mexican government, which is, uber rare for a white nice. guy born in Pennsylvania, you know, <laughs> being the Bidasha advisor to the Secretary of Tourism. You know, I've done weird stuff like that. But outside of those things, what real credentials did I have to have build an audience? So I figured, hey, let's go out. Let's go create my story. Let's let's just go dominate. And I started doing things like live events. They were executive luncheons. We called them the anti-luncheon. We would actually serve chocolate cake for the appetizer, because that's how anti-luncheon we were. Uh, nice. We have people like William Hung from American Idol, yeah. who's been on this show as well, too, as the keynote speaker. And people be thinking, wait a second, this is a business event? Like, what does William Hung have to do with... Uh, you know, business. He's the uh, she bangs guy, right? And but what did what did he? What was that brilliant thing he said? I tried my best, and I have no regrets. I love right, that. right, right, right. <laughs> and that's the thing. He's about that's that's an entrepreneur spirit, right it really there. Is. <laughs> and he comes out and he talks about people, you know, dreaming and reaching your dreams and stuff like that. It's amazing, and it's a very inspiring story too. Right. And you also have the aspect. Well, what happens if you go viral instantly? How do you handle that? William Hung went viral instantly, uh, right. overnight almost. Right. And that's where you know you get a lot of cool tips and stuff like that. But I went outside of the box thinking, and it wasn't until this pandemic struck that I was forced in the corner, like, okay, well, I 
can't do the live events. We were planning on doing a whole Northeast Roadshow out here. We, we were going to have the Verb Pipe playing, speaking. Uh, Brian Vander Eyre, good friend of mine, he's been on the show too. He has a really awesome business story because music is a business. He is a business owner. And he's got a great business story that he's able to tell at these events. And then he plays the freshman, which everybody loves. Um, and then we get drunk and he plays a couple more songs during happy hour. But great we were band. planning on that. And basically, oh, yeah, definitely. And basically, you know, we started getting into the pandemic. So we had to cancel that. And it was like, well, what else can I do? And that's where, you know, I forced myself to innovate to start here with with the podcast. I mean, right. It's reaching the most audience I can because I'm like, hey, I still got a lot I can learn. I can learn a lot from people like you. And that's what I try to do with this show. Bring people like you out and try to get stories out of them in a different way. So that way it's more applicable, I think, to the the real world working folk that are, you know, struggling for ideas on how to get something done, how to move something forward. And that's the point of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I like I, that. What comes to mind is like that interview with Steve Jobs and he was, he was like, and I'm going to screw up the quote, but he says something to the effect of, uh, you know, the people, I'll still tag you to the quote. <laughs> he, says, he says, I'm going to try to remember it. He says, you know, like, like, you know, you have this life that's prescribed to you and people will tell you, you know, work your, work your, your 40, uh, you know, weeks a year, you get a couple, you get a couple of a weeks vacation and, and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, don't bump into the edges too much. And, and then you, but then you realize that you can actually create things and you can build things and you can put things out there and, and you can kind of like poke here and see what pops out on the other side and he says once you once you see that you can poke back at life and that all of these people that are telling you all these things that are successful are actually no smarter than you and once you see life that way you will never see it again the same way and 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 like to me mm-hmm. that inspires me to like start over again and go from a blue collar entrepreneur to a tech entrepreneur and that that, that that's that has carried me through a decade of yeah. just building, putting stuff out there, failing, going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm and just literally like poking back at life and not just like living this life that's prescribed to you by people right. who are no smarter than you. So you started a business, you sold your business, you retired. And in the middle of your retirement, it seems like you were kind of bored and you're like, hey, I'm going to start another business. Why don't you yeah, talk to us was- about that process? It was it was a combination of boredom and no purpose in my life that okay. that caused me to get back into the arena. You and can only I, see the world so many times, right? Right. Yeah, I traveled a bunch. <laughs> you know, there's only so many beaches you can lay on. I think there was yep. like a moment when I was in Costa Rica, and I, I think the biggest problem I had dealt with that week was the bar ran out of my favorite type of tequila, and <laughs> I, I'm like, "Jeez, man, I'm wired." <laughs> I'm wired to like be able to do more with my life than this. And so, and so it was like a combination of all those things. I thought I just need to start another business. And I thought, well, you know, I spent 15 years in the lawn mowing business. I saw how inefficient and messy it was. And then I see what Airbnb and Uber and Lyft are doing. I'm thinking, okay, an app can exist to make it to where you can just push a button and somebody come mow your yard. And so I, yeah. I thought, let's, let's go to work on that. Let's build that. And luckily I didn't know what I didn't know. I, I was naive uh, to how hard it is to start a, 
uh, invent a new product, basically. How yeah. difficult it is to create something from scratch and like to engineer a, a breakthrough. And so it was it was a lot more hard, a lot more challenging. Than I thought it was going to be, but recruited two co-founders and we just stuck with it. We never looked back. Like failure was not an option. We burned the boats. Took us why, four or five years to get it going. Why was but, it so hard? Well, a couple reasons. One is the technological aspect of it. So mm-hmm. I didn't know how to build software. I didn't know how to engineer software. I wasn't a coder. My two co-founders, mm-hmm. same thing. None of us knew any coders. So all three of you are non-technical co-founders. That's right. Wow. Ideally, when you're starting a tech startup, you do what Paul Graham says, is you get a, a hacker and a hustler. Uh, somebody <laughs> that can like move the business forward, who's good at sales, and you get somebody yep. who's just like really, who was changed. You get somebody who was like in high school, hacking into the website to change their grades. Like mm-hmm. you get somebody who's just been like computer savvy their whole life. And I didn't know anybody like that. And my co-founders didn't. Um, but I knew that we were, the three of us were like sufficiently motivated and mm-hmm. ambitious enough to do whatever it took to, to make this work. Uh, and we would figure it out along the way. And that's how it's unfolded. But man, we made some mistakes. The first thing we did is we, we, we pissed away like $150,000 on wow. building what we thought GreenPal should be by, by paying a dev shop in Nashville. And, uh, and that went to zero. It was just like, it didn't work, didn't have the features it needed. And we were conf- like quickly confronted with reality. Like we're going to have to learn how to build software if we want to be in the tech space. And mm-hmm. so we just went to work on ourselves, read every blog post we could read, took every online course we could take to learn how to build software. And over a two or three year period of time, we were able to rebuild the whole thing while learning how to code and then be able to delegate and, and hire engineers the right way. So you and your co-founders ended up building the app yourself for the most part or with a team? The entire thing we built ourselves. Uh, we, that is... we, we spent 150 grand and and had to scrap it uh wow. and and that's amazing start we had to start all over and built it ourselves my my co-founder went to a six-month boot camp to learn back-end engineering and then i took online classes to learn front-end engineering and we just started working on it while learning and and hacked together a version of the project that we could then iterate and improve over and over and over again right as time went on we well, started that's a nice a, thing about web companies app companies is that look when software was developed back in the 90s for example when you delivered a final product that had to be like all the bugs worked out all the kinks worked out and what was on that disc because it was so hard to update software back then not now i mean it is easy and it's meant to be able to roll out quick easily robust that you can do those you know little updates fixing things that you broke the day before that's right it's 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 a, it's a couple things so one is you you, you don't have all that time. You don't have two years to go build this thing and then release it. You got to get it out of that. You got to get it out there as quick as possible and then learn from the feedback to make it better and better and better. That, and to your point, that's the beautiful thing about software development, web-based software these days is you can you can r- roll out 10, 10 improvements a day, mm-hmm. whereas 20 years ago, you know, there was a CD that was mailed to you. So, so it's, it's a lot more approachable now. And like Reed mm-hmm. Hoffman says, if you waited to... It, Reed Hoffman says, if you're not completely embarrassed of the product you released, you waited too long. So the, the point is, is like, get it out there, then learn, because that's, that's, that's the only way you learn about mm-hmm. what it is you're trying to build. And like, there's so many parallels this in, like, in life. Like, there's two things I'm trying to, I've spent the last three years trying to learn. I'm trying to learn how to 
uh, Muay Thai boxing, like MMA, MMA fighting, and salsa mm-hmm. dancing. <laughs> so, and so, and so, I did not. Uh, I did not expect that. <laughs> the, the last two years, I've, I've, I'm trying to learn this stuff, and so there's parallels. Like the only way to learn how to fight is to spar. And the only way to learn how to salsa dance is just get out there on the dance floor and, and learn the stuff that you're reading about and you're practicing. And, and business and startups are a lot like that. Mm-hmm. The only way you're going to learn about what kind of product you have to build is to get the damn thing in the hands of users and right. then learn from that feedback. And, get the and then feedback. Like that, that, those interactions is how you learn. Yeah, yeah. So with that, I mean, we have a lot in common because, for example, uh, my day job, Vision 33, uh, is we do ERP. I manage the Northeast for one product and the East Coast for another product. And it's all about like the business process and the flows, how to make things as easy as possible, automating things. And, you know, it, it gets uh, it gets frustrating sometimes because, you know, a lot of times what you think is the best approach isn't the actual best approach because people hate it for whatever reason. Right. Um, now, with the tech, I wanted to ask you, have you looked at things like no code uh, no code solutions are out there? A, it's kind of like their prime right now. A, yeah, this has gotten to be really big in the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. And so when we were getting started, it wasn't even a, a conversation. You had to b- yeah. build your own stuff. People ask me this from time to time because it's seductive to think that you can build the next Uber or Airbnb or whatever without having to build software. And it's, it's, right. it's a very alluring idea. And so where I think no code and low code fit mm-hmm. is for validating the idea and like reducing the time to get out what, what they call your MVP, your minimum viable product. And so right. low code can take that from like a six month process to maybe a two month process. But and you can do a, it with a lot less resources because you don't need the technical resources. You don't need to learn the coding like you do. Basically, for people out there that don't know what no code or low code is, is you're essentially taking pre, I guess it's like pre-established snippets of codes that are supposed to do different functions. And you can tweak that stuff, I think, with most different platforms. But I'm seeing that there, it looks to be, I, I just went to a webinar for one last week. don't know how I ended up in this webinar, but I was there and it was actually, it, it surprised me because I didn't realize how far along the technology has come the last two years. The Yeah, the, it's come a long, long, mm-hmm. long way. The analogy I would give it is like most successful products and startups is, are ultimately going to be like a beautiful custom home that mm-hmm. has just been built painstakingly unique yeah. and customized. And low code is like a trailer park. <laughs> And, and it's like, boom, boom, like done. That's all you get. So the customization is really hard. And could you make that trailer park like a beautiful custom home by tearing all this stuff apart and recobbling it back together? Yeah, but it was actually just easier to build the, the custom home. So, yeah. so that's how I, but if you need to validate an idea, the, the uh-huh. easy thing to do is like get something out there get some traction around it, like get your first hundred customers and then maybe go raise capital with, with that evidence. And Mm -hmm. then you're going to have to hire engineers. You're going to have to get a technical co-founder. There's, there's just no way to, but it it should be a lot easier at that point though, too, because you have it validated and it's not like you're just pitching a pipe dream. I mean, it's like, Hey, look, we got our first hundred customers. It actually works. People like it, but 
we can do way more, way bigger, way better than this. Exactly. It's it, they can really reduce that time to validating mm-hmm. the idea, which is all that matters anyway. By the way, like if you yeah. can't get your first hundred customers, then then you you don't need the, you don't need a technical co-founder. You don't need an engineer because you need to like get that first, then mm-hmm. do these other things. So I think that's where it fits. Now, now downstream, you know, thousands of custom, customers, and you've got to like create these customized like product solutions to problems. I think that's where no code and low code like drop offs precipitously. But mm-hmm. to get started, I think it's a great way to, to to reduce the barrier to entry. Okay. No, that's some great info. I got one last question for you. So when I moved out here from LA, I actually had to buy yard equipment, I think for the first time in my adult life. <laughs> what do you think of um, a lot of these uh, battery powered stuff that's out there compared to the old gas machines? I, uh, I specifically went with Ego Power Plus and for the most part, I love it. I don't notice a difference between uh, gas powered stuff. What, what's your take? Small, small property, great solution because it's quieter. You're not going to piss your neighbors off. You're not, you're, you're, it's good for the environment. Oh yeah. I cut grass at 10 o'clock at night. No one even knows. Boom, done. You know, like how <laughs> awesome is that? Yeah. That wasn't possible 10 years ago. And, and in, in my condo building where I live, they use battery power stuff because, because they don't want to wake people up. And, and so like, that's a great innovation. If you uh, have a big property, that's where it drops off. And, and so, and so 10 years from now, will everything be battery powered? Maybe. And, you know, the other interesting thing is, is robotics, too. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of uh, innovation is happening around robotics. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably pretty soon, a lot of your football fields, your big your big campuses might be done with a robotic mower. And so that's kind of neat, wow. too. Um, you know, I didn't even think about that. Again, like we were talking earlier, I think that's one of the things that we don't talk about. I mean, can you imagine a Roomba that instead of uh, – you know, vacuuming your house, it's actually cutting your grass. In fact, I've seen one of those somewhere. Yeah, there you, they exist. Um, there's just a big gap between the practicality of, of, mm-hmm. of their application right now. Um, you know, for us, for GreenPal, we have 300,000 people that use the app to get their grass cut. The average spend is like $600 a year. It's cheap. Wow. And so, and can for, anybody sign up for your app? Yeah, anybody in the entire United States. We're coast to coast. Okay, and, uh, I am going to be signing up. I got, I spent about two thousand dollars on my Ego Power Plus equipment. My kids right, gotta yeah. Use it. So it's like it's Did actually not cheaper just to pay somebody to do this thing because they're more efficient at it. They've got yeah. the equipment. Um, and like a robotic mower these days is three or four grand, and you have to install wiring and stuff to make them work. So I think it's going to come, but it's still a long way off. Okay. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. So, hey, this has been amazing. This was a a very fun conversation about entrepreneurship. You got some awesome tech out there with Green App. Uh, How can people reach out to you? Yeah. So anybody wants to use GreenPal to get your grass cut, just download GreenPal in the App Store or Play Store. Anybody wants to reach out to me, I actually hang out on Instagram uh, more than anywhere else. Just hit me up at Brian M. Clayton. Doing tequila shots on Instagram. (laughs) Man, I'm knee deep in building this marketplace, so not much tequila these days. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thank you. Uh, I definitely think you lived up to be one of the best interviews we had. Love having you. Thank you, man. (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Oh, wow. That was an amazing chat with Bride, right? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked some warm and fuzzies, do me a favor. Hit that like button. Smash, smash. I mean, really smash that subscribe button. Okay, but if you really want to do us a solid, okay, share this out to your network.
Shark Bite Biz, this podcast that's helping you learn, helping you grow personally, helping you grow professionally, helping you grow your business. The best darn kept secret in the world, okay? Share it out to your network. Help people find the gift of Shark Bite Biz. I'd love to see nothing more than Brian Clayton, Green Pal, and Shark Bite Biz out there trending. Go help make it happen. Now let's get back to our rock star guest with Bright, okay? Seriously, another amazing business owner that in my opinion, like it was kind of a story of happenstance. Why? Well, let's listen to his story again. I did. He was forced into starting a business. I mean, I use the word forced loosely because his father was a teenager. Hey, go out, make money. You know, same thing I'm doing with my son, Francisco, where it's like, you got to do a job. You know, he went with firefighting and he does this show. So his father did the same thing to him. And, you know, it's the same way I felt when I was younger. I mean, I wasn't really getting a major push into working, but I realized at a young age that if I work, I can buy things. But guess what? I was trying to work from a very, very young age and, you know, for me, it was more material items being my motivator of working. Brian, though, his motivator was his father. And still, though, I mean, this is a story that we've heard time and time and time again, where we've had super successful business owners like Brian come onto this very show and tell us from how at a very young age they were forced into working or, or the flip side of that, is that their parents also own businesses. I don't think Brian's parents, if I remember correctly, I don't think his parents owned a business, but he was pushed into that entrepreneur, hey, go out mow lawns. I mean, that is an amazing story. You start mowing a lawn as a kid, and then you grow that into a $10 million a year revenue business. I mean, that is insane. That's like a dream come true. So, wow, Brian, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I think you're going to aspire a lot of Shark Bite Biz listeners with that incredible, incredible story. I mean, me again, personally, I was lucky, I think, because my dad did own a, a you know home improvement company when I was younger. And I had that throughout my whole life. And I always thought highly of my father because of the fact that he was a business owner. I didn't think of my dad like, oh, my dad's a contractor. My dad's a roofer. No, I thought of my dad. My dad owns a business. He's a business owner. He's a small business owner. That's how I've always thought about him. Now, if my father didn't own the business, okay, maybe let's just say he was, I don't know, the foreman on a roofing crew, and that was what he did throughout his life, I think I would probably look at it through a different lens. Like, oh, yeah, my dad's just a roofer. He does roofs. Not, not Nothing more. You know, but because he owned it, I didn't even though I mean, that's essentially what he was doing in my head. You know, being a kid, he got put up to another level like, oh, he's not just a foreman. He's just not running a roofing crew. This dude owns a business and he did. You know, we have some great growth stories we could tell. And I have told on this podcast pre previously. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's really comes down to people like Brian or me. When you're in those types of situations, you have impressionable minds at that age. And I think our parents in their own way kind of did their job as far as sculpting them the right way to motivate us to be able to go out 
to be our best and learn how our capitalistic society works. And in Brian's case, it, it worked way better than mine. But, <laughs> you know, uh, no hate, no hate. It's all good. It's an awesome story. And it even motivates me because, I mean, it, something as simple as lawn care, mowing lawns, you turn that into a $10 million, you know, year business, the sky's the limit. Really, you can go after almost anything with that. Now, just because you aren't 14 right now in this day and age doesn't mean you still can't learn how to love business and make business or entrepreneurship part of your DNA. I mean, think about this. Brian retired in his 30s. Like, straight up, the dude retired. And then he basically said, screw this, I'm bored and unretired. Dang, that's incredible. And he just went out and started a brand new entrepreneurial path that is using something that he is familiar with with something that he has no idea about. And I love that mix because you could easily say he is a lawn care expert, okay? He knows everything about Lods, Tennessee, and all that stuff. Um, he is by far easily one of the top experts in that area. So he took the familiarity of knowing the situation of what people need on the ground to make everything work. He took that, okay? And he was able to apply that. You know, these are the pain points, okay? He basically, like, I'm looking at this as if I was selling a tech system. I'm looking at the process flows. I'm figuring out the plain pain points. And then from there, we're connecting the dots. And that's what he did with his app. I mean, it's just totally amazing that even after he retired and unretired, he went out, learned how to program to get his technical solution out there. I mean, it came down to just really, really wanting it and then having to execute him, having to hit the books and just figure it all out. And, you know, this is a guy that has not made his path just once, but now he's well on to doing it a second time. And this is really, really amazing. I mean, he's creating a service that can really uproot and touch, impact our lives and how we interact with lawn care professionals going forward. I mean, like he said, he is the Uber of lawn care service, and this could change. I mean, when we're looking at hotels, Airbnb, better or worse, they have changed how we look at those things, okay? Uber has changed how we look at taxis. And there's a bunch of services out there. Lawn care is one that I never even, I, it didn't cross my, maybe it's because I cut my own grass with my Ego Power Plus, and I love it, but it never crossed my mind up until now. So that's an amazing, amazing story. And it's really gnarly how he went from being in an old school business with old school tech and old school mentality to now being on the bleeding edge of technology. Brian, if you're out there listening, I know you are, man. Cheers to you. You are doing amazing. And I hope every one of our viewers and listeners out there go check out Brian's company at Green Pal. It's an amazing story and an amazing dude. So question of the day. Tell us, 
When did you get the entrepreneurial bug and how has it affected your life? What have you done about it? What have you, what call of action have you given yourself? Leave a comment there on YouTube. Let's get the discussion flowing. Remember, if you want to be on the show, we are about to end season two. It ends one week from today with episode 100, and then we'll be gone for about two, three weeks, okay? And I think July 12th, we'll be back with season three. But we're still booking up season three, season four. They're, you know, got a lot of guests. We may expand the show. Everything's up on the table. It just depends how things go. Uh, shoot out an email. We'll get you scheduled as soon as possible. Remember, you can join the channel. Support us. $3 a month as a baby shark on YouTube or deadhousecoffee.com. Use code SHARK. Get 20% off your order. Directly support this show. And you all know this already, but I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Fizz, and we'll see you all next episode. Cheers! Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Fizz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 